The journey of faith is often filled with obstacles, trials, and struggles. And quite honestly, sometimes it just feels like we're roaming in the wilderness in this culture, in this society. We might be asking, is the Bible relevant to what is going on in our world today? On this podcast, we'll discuss the relevance of the Bible to today's current events and society. Let's welcome in Voice in the Modern Wilderness host, Greg Walden. Thank you, Pastor Jeremiah, for that wonderful intro. And yes, you are on the Voice of the Modern Wilderness podcast, and we have an exciting conclusion to a three-part series that I have been talking about. I apologize it has taken so long to get this third part to you guys, but life has been crazy busy for me this month, and I am back on track and looking forward to bringing you more content. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. This is the final part of the three-part series I have been doing. The first part, we discussed the just and holy nature of God. The second part, we discussed the love nature of God. In this episode, we are going to talk about what does it mean for me. Well, let's start about talking about war. This won't be the typical war you think about. No, it's a much larger war and you cannot see the source of it with your own eyes. There is a war going on right now. This war has been going on before man has even walked the earth. Before man was created, this war had already started. Majority of us are not aware of this war and are just going about our business blinded to the war being waged right in front of our eyes. Let's understand this war, shall we? Before creation, there was a war in heaven that started with Lucifer, one of God's angels, who desired to be like God. Ezekiel 28 verse 15 You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. On the website Christianity.com, Ron Rhodes wrote an article titled, quote, How Did Lucifer Fall and Become Satan? Unquote, and it goes on as follows. Quote, Lucifer became so impressed with his own beauty, intelligence, power, and position that he began to desire for himself the honor and glory that belonged to God alone. This pride represents the actual beginning of sin in the universe, preceding the fall of the human Adam by an indeterminate time. The story of Lucifer's fall is described in two key Old Testament chapters, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Let's briefly look at both of these. It would seem from the context of Ezekiel 28 that the first ten verses of this chapter are dealing with a human leader. Then, starting in verse 11 and on through verse 19, Lucifer is the focus of discussion. What is the rationale for the conclusion that these latter verses refer to the fall of Lucifer? Whereas the first ten verses in this chapter speak about the ruler of Tyre, who was condemned for claiming to be a god, though he was just a man. The discussion moves to the king of Tyre, starting in verse 11. Many scholars believe that though there was a human ruler of Tyre, the real king of Tyre was Satan. For it was he who ultimately at work in this anti-god city, and it was he who worked through the human ruler of the city. Some have suggested that these verses may actually be dealing with a human king of Tyre, 
who was empowered by Satan. Perhaps the historic king of Tyre was a tool of Satan, possibly even and dwelt by him. In describing this king, Ezekiel also gives us glimpses of the superhuman creature Satan who was using, if not indwelling, him. Now, there are things that are true of this king that, at least ultimately, cannot be said to be true of human beings. For example, the king is portrayed as having a different nature from man. He is a cherub, verse 14. He had a different position from man. He was blameless and sinless, verse 15. He was in a different realm from man, the holy mount of God, verses 13 and 14. He received a different judgment from man. He was cast out of the mountain of God and thrown to the earth, verse 16. And the superlatives used to describe him don't seem to fit that of a normal human being. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, and having the seal of perfection, verse 12. Who is Lucifer, and why did he rebel? Our text tells us that this king was a created being and left the creative hand of God in a perfect state, Ezekiel 28, verses 12 and 15. And he remained perfect in his ways until iniquity was found in him, verse 15. What was this iniquity? We read in verse 17, Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Lucifer apparently became so impressed with his own beauty, intelligence, power, and position that he began to desire for himself the honor and glory that belonged to God alone. The sin that corrupted Lucifer was self-generated pride. Apparently, this represents the actual beginning of sin in the universe, preceding the fall of the human Adam by an indeterminate time. Sin originated in the free will of Lucifer in which, with full understanding of the issues involved, he chose to rebel against their creator. This mighty angelic being was rightfully judged by God. I threw you to the earth, Ezekiel 28 verse 18. This doesn't mean that Satan had no further access to heaven, for other scripture verses clearly indicate that Satan maintained this access even after his fall, Job 1, verses 6-12, Zechariah 3, verses 1 and 2. However, Ezekiel 28, verse 18 indicates that Satan was absolutely and completely cast out of God's heavenly government and his place of authority, Luke 10, verse 18. Isaiah 14, verses 12-17 through 17, is another Old Testament passage that may refer to the fall of Lucifer. We must be frank in admitting that some Bible scholars see no references whatsoever to Lucifer in this passage. It is argued that the being mentioned in this verse is referred to as a man, Isaiah 14 verse 16, is compared with other kings on the earth, verse 18, and the words, how you have fallen from heaven, verse 12, is alleged to refer to a fall from great political heights. There are other scholars who interpret this passage as referring only to the fall of Lucifer, with no reference whatsoever to a human king. The argument here is that the description of this being is beyond humanness, and hence could not refer to a mere mortal man. There is a third view that I think is preferable to the two views above, 
This view sees Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 17 as having a dual reference. It may be that verses 4 through 11 deal with an actual king of Babylon. Then in verses 12 through 17, we find a dual reference that includes not just a king of Babylon, but a typological description of Lucifer as well. If this passage contains a reference to the fall of Lucifer, then the pattern of this passage would seem to fit that of the Ezekiel 28 reference. That is, first a human leader is described, and then dual reference is made to a human leader and Satan. It is significant that the language used to describe this being fits other passages in the Bible that speak about Satan. For example, the five I wills in Isaiah 14 indicate an element of pride, which was also evidenced in Ezekiel 28 verse 17, also referenced in 1 Timothy 3 6, which makes reference to Satan's conceit. As a result of this heinous sin against God, Lucifer was banished from living in heaven, Isaiah 14 verse 12. He became corrupt, and his name changed from Lucifer, which means morning star, to Satan, which means adversary. His power became completely perverted, Isaiah 14 verses 12, 16, and 17, and his destiny, following the second coming of Christ, is to be bound in a pit during the 1,000-year millennial kingdom over which Christ will rule, Revelation 20 verse 3, and eventually will be thrown into the lake of fire, Matthew 25 verse 41. Now that you know the origin of this war, you also realize that the war is not over. Lucifer lost in a direct confrontation with God, but his war against God has not ended. That is because you and I are made in God's image, and God gives us something he does not give Satan and the fallen angels, and that is salvation and also through Eve, the Savior who would be born for the redemption of humankind. So, Satan lost the direct war against God, so his new war against God is going after God's creation, mankind. The war for the souls of you and me is real, and it is for keeps. It is a war with eternal consequences for you and me. You and I do not get to decide if we are part of that conflict because we are in the middle of it, like it or not. We talked about the just and holy nature of God, meaning we have to have no sin to enter heaven and God judges sin, which means we are all guilty and on our way to hell. The love nature of God, which means God loved us so much that he provided a way to escape hell through his son, Jesus Christ, who took the judgment of God for our sins on the cross of Calvary. The war for our souls resides on the one fact that every man and woman are born with a free will. This means we can choose God or not choose God, and God cannot force us to make that decision either way. The first humans God created, Adam and Eve, were created with free will. At the time of Adam and Eve, Lucifer had already been kicked out of heaven with one-third of the angels and was now Satan. God gave Adam and Eve dominion over all the living things of the earth. 
Genesis 1, verses 28 states, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God put Adam and Eve in a garden and all their needs were provided for. It was literally paradise. They really only had one limitation given to them by God, and that was to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You may ask why God would put a tree in the middle of paradise with deadly consequences for Adam and Eve if they ate of it. This is something most of us, including myself, have pondered. An article on www.gotquestions.org shed some light on this subject. Quote, God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden to give Adam and Eve a choice to obey him or disobey him. Adam and Eve were free to do anything they wanted except eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2 verse 16 through 17 states, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. If God had not given Adam and Eve the choice, they would have essentially been robots, simply doing what they were programmed to do. God created Adam and Eve to be free beings, able to make decisions, able to choose between good and evil. In order for Adam and Eve to truly be free, they had to have a choice. There was nothing essentially evil about the tree or the fruit of the tree. It is unlikely that the fruit in and of itself gave Adam and Eve any further knowledge. That is, the physical fruit may have contained some vitamin C and some beneficial fiber, but it was not spiritually nutritious. However, the act of disobedience was spiritually deleterious. That sin opened Adam and Eve's eyes to evil. For the first time, they knew what it was to be evil, to feel shame, and to want to hide from God. Their sin of disobeying God brought corruption into their lives and into the world. Eating the fruit as an act of disobedience against God was what gave Adam and Eve the knowledge of evil and the knowledge of their nakedness, Genesis 3, verses 6 through 7. God did not want Adam and Eve to sin. God knew ahead of time what the results of sin would be. God knew that Adam and Eve would sin and would thereby bring evil, suffering, and death into the world. Why, then, did God allow Satan to tempt Adam and Eve? God allowed Satan to tempt Adam and Eve to force them to make the choice. Adam and Eve chose, of their own free will, to disobey God and eat the forbidden fruit. The results, evil, sin, suffering, sickness, and death, have plagued the world ever since. Adam and Eve's decision results in every person being born with a sin nature, a tendency to sin. Adam and Eve's decision is what ultimately required Jesus Christ to die on the cross and shed his blood on our behalf. Through faith in Christ, we can be free from sin's consequences and ultimately free from sin itself. May we echo the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, verses 24 through 25, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So now we know that 1. God gave every human being a free will. 2. There is a war for every soul in the world. 3. God's just and holy nature means he is perfect and cannot allow sin into heaven. And 4. God's love nature means he desires every man and woman to avoid judgment and enter heaven. What does this all mean for you and I? It simply means we have to make a choice, a decision. Our free will means God cannot force us to choose him. God cannot force you to choose him, and the devil cannot force you not to choose him. The entire war for your soul is based on God desiring you to choose him, and the devil and your flesh tempting you away from choosing God. Your flesh? Yes, you heard me right. You cannot blame the devil for your sin just as much as you cannot blame God if you end up in hell for all eternity. Because all sin is a personal choice by you. The devil only tempts you to sin, and your sinful flesh already has a natural desire to sin because you are born into a sinful nature. Eve tried to blame the serpent when she sinned, and yet she was punished along with Adam, because the serpent did not shove the forbidden fruit down their throats, he only convinced them to do it by temptation. That choice you are faced with now is an eternal choice, and you will have to live with the consequences of that choice for all eternity. This is a war for keeps. The devil is not playing Gucci Goo. He is playing hardline chess for your soul, because he knows his days are short and numbered. He is condemned to be tossed into the lake of fire for eternity, along with the fallen angels who rebelled with him. He is just trying to take as many souls with him as he can before his number is up. How long you have to make that choice? As long as you draw breath. You can make the decision to follow Jesus. Once you take your last breath on earth, you are forever locked into whatever state you are in at the moment you die. If you have not made a decision for Jesus after your last breath, you will find yourself condemned to an eternity in hell right along with Satan and the fallen angels and all who have rejected Jesus Christ. If you have made the decision to follow Jesus, you will find yourself in heaven in a glorious place where there is no suffering pain, or death anymore. You will be reunited with saved loved ones who passed on before you. I will talk about heaven and hell in future podcasts so you don't want to miss those. On a side note, there is no purgatory. I will do a future podcast about purgatory because it's a big subject and this is where Protestants and Catholics have a disagreement. So pay attention in a future podcast. I will address this subject. But for the subject of this podcast, there is no purgatory. Your last breath here on earth is your first breath in eternity, whichever of the two places you spend it. Last breath here on earth, if you're saved, will be your first breath in heaven. If you're not saved, your last breath on earth will be your first breath in hell. 
Ignoring the cross does not make it go away. Your appointment with God is coming. Every man and woman has an appointment with the Almighty, as the Bible says in Hebrews 9, verses 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You will either meet God at that appointment as your Savior or as your judge. I would highly recommend meeting Him as your Savior. It would go much better for you. But let's cut to the chase here. Jesus Himself tells us a humbling statement, and to me, it is one of the most scary and sad statements He made. And it concerns how many people will make the decision for Jesus and how many will decide to reject Him. I have stated this excerpt from the Bible many times, and you will hear me say it many more, because this needs to be hammered home because of how important it is. Matthew 7, verses 13-14 through 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. God himself acknowledges most people will refuse him, even though he desires that no one perish, which means go to hell. You may ask why most people refuse this offer of salvation and escape such a horrible eternal place. Let's look at the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. Most of us know this famous verse from when we were kids. John 3.16 states, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It goes on to say in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That is so wonderful and brings so much hope, but what most people don't do or realize is what God goes on to say right after John 3.17. It gives us a big clue why people do not come to Jesus and hint, it's not Satan. John 3.18-21 states, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness, rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The real reason so many people reject Jesus? Simple. They love their sin. They enjoy the temporary pleasure sin gives them, and giving that up is just too much a cost for them. In other words, they are too short-term-minded to think of the eternal long-term consequences. You may say God doesn't understand how much fun sin is. 
God's word does state sin is pleasurable, but only for a season, and it's fleeting. Hebrews 11 verse 25 states, Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin is fun. Duh. Otherwise, people wouldn't do it. But it is temporary, does not last, and brings death and destruction in the end. Do you think the devil shows up with a red suit, horns, and a pitchfork and says, Hey you, I am Satan. Let me drag you to hell with me. I am sure not hardly anyone would hop on board with that one. The Bible says Satan can appear as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So he is going to make sin look absolutely right and can be very convincing. If safe people who are not paying attention can be duped, just imagine how more difficult for an unsaved person, whom the Bible already states belongs to Satan, to avoid being duped. On a side note, there are people who preach everyone is a child of God, but that is absolutely not the case. There is a difference between being a creation of God, which every man and woman are, and being a child of God. I will talk on a future podcast on this subject. Jesus was addressing the Pharisees during one of their many confrontational questionings of him. In John 8, verses 44 through 47, Jesus tells them their pedigree and tells them whom they belong to. Pharisees were unsaved people. They were the spiritual leaders of Israel at the time, but Jesus pretty much said, "Uh -uh." they were totally unsaved. John 8, verses 44 through 47 states, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, You do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So in these verses, Jesus pretty much tells the Pharisees that they are children of God the devil. If they were children of God, how could they be children of the devil at the same time? You're either the child of one or the other. And Jesus clearly states that they are children of the devil because they are not of God. And when you are not saved, you are not of God. So that clears up the false teaching that everybody is a child of God. It simply is not the case. Jesus points out that those who do not follow him belong to Satan. Period. The only way to become a child of God is to be born again. And that is when a person gets saved. A saved person is adopted into the family of God and then 
they are a child of God. Only saved people are children of God. In summary, what all I have talked about in this three-part series boils down to a personal choice you have to make. I'm going to offer to lead you in a prayer to make a choice for Jesus. This could be the very last time you hear the gospel. The Bible says in James 4 verses 14, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Read the news, the obituaries. You will see the young and you will see the old, various ages listed in there. Those that were sick and those who were healthy and just died. On the tragic day of September 11, 2001, most of us still remember that day. It was a very tragic day. 3,000 people woke up that morning to go about their daily business without any knowledge that when they walked out of the door that morning and got on the planes or to their workplaces, they would be meeting eternity that day. They all made plans, I am sure, vacations, weddings, family reunions, what have you. None a thought that in a few hours they would all be dead and gone into eternity. I am sure there were saved and unsaved people in the mix of those 3,000 people. Some went to heaven that day. Some went to hell. This is not an easy pill to swallow, but it is the truth. The same goes for you and me. We wake up each day without knowing if it will be our last or not. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. So the day you have to make this choice is today. You cannot put this off until tomorrow because if tomorrow never comes for you and you are unsaved, it will be too late and you will suffer an eternity in hell because you put it off. Like I said earlier, the devil plays for keeps and it is no game. God wants you to choose him. He is standing at the door of your heart right now, knocking gently for you to open it to him. He will not kick the door down on your heart and force himself in. You have to make that choice and open it. Will you make that choice today? Thank you for listening to this episode of Voice in the Modern Wilderness. It is the goal of this podcast channel to reach the lost for Christ and promote national revival in our nation. If you want to be saved today, you can pray and God will hear you. Just pray this prayer with me. I come to you in the name of Jesus. I admit that I am not right with you and I want to be right with you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. The Bible says if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. Romans 10 verse 9. I believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth 
that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer, congratulations. The angels in heaven are having a huge party right now because you got saved. I encourage you to find a local Bible-believing church and start attending Sunday school, all the worship services, Wednesday night services, whatever services the church offers. Grow in your faith. Read the Bible and communicate with the fellow brothers and sisters in the church and then discover your ministry, what God has given you gifts to be able to accomplish the Great Commission, which is spreading the gospel to all the world. Congratulations if you prayed that prayer. I'm very excited and happy. Uh, Go to my Facebook page and leave me a message. Say, hey, Greg, thank you for this ministry. I have given my life to Jesus because of what you've said. I would love to rejoice with you because this is what this podcast is all about, is reaching the lost for Christ. And if, even if it only reaches one lost soul, all the time I spend making these podcasts is well worth it. So guys, thank you for supporting this podcast. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to bringing you more content in the future. I wish all of you God bless. Thank you. And I will see you next time. Bye-bye.